This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, October 26th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. The appeal of non-alcoholic drinks expanding beyond sober October. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the latest measure of the U.S. economy is out today, along with numbers on home sales. And joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Gus, thank you for joining us today. Gross domestic product grew in the third quarter at a 4.9% annual pace. That's better than analysts had expected. That's the best number in nearly two years. Uh, what does this mean about the overall state of the economy right now? It seems like uh, as far as the, uh, the the GDP number is concerned, it's going great guns. Uh, yeah, no, that's a very solid number. And, and most of the details were good, too. So there was a big increase in consumer spending in the third quarter. So with the strong job market, we see that households are continuing to buy uh, government supported growth in the in, in the third quarter. And then also we saw a little bit of a pickup in investment in housing in the third quarter. That's been a drag for a while now. Uh, but it appears that we're close to a bottom in the housing market. Uh, so all of this bodes well for continued growth in the near term, uh, particularly that solid consumer spending number. Now, Gus, you're an economist, so I'm sure your ability to use FRED, the graphical tool from the St. Louis Fed, is a lot better than mine. But uh, taking a look at the uh, the trend line over time, it appears that the economy is back on track to where it was before COVID-19. It's back on that trend line. Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, given the fact that the economy contracted about 9% between the end of 2019 and the second quarter of 2020 with the pandemic, we've really had a remarkable recovery. And it is fair to say that the recovery has been better in the United States than it's been in most other economies. So that's really quite an accomplishment. Uh, it's a result of all the, the stimulus from the federal government and then also very low interest rates from the Federal Reserve. We're obviously seeing the flip side of that with high inflation, but it's been a very solid recovery from the COVID pandemic. Now, everything we're going to talk about is going to be seen through the lens of how do you bring down inflation and get that to its 2% target? And do you continue uh, boosting interest rates? Because it appears the economy uh, it, 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 the economy can take it, uh, uh, this, uh, the, the, you know, the slamming the brakes on the economy so far with the Fed has, hasn't really been all that effective. Um, but have, have there been other times in recent history where you have seen these 3 or 4% annualized numbers? And does that kick off inflation? Does it does it is that the sign of an inflationary environment historically? Um, Yeah, normally when you see growth that is this strong and, you know, right now, I'd say growth is running probably 
close to double the economy's underlying trend that we can grow given given growth in the labor force. That usually does result in inflationary pressures, but we've just been in extraordinary circumstances lately, given the recovery from the pandemic. Um, that being said, growth will need to slow significantly or inflation will start to pick back up again, and that means the Fed would need to slam on the brakes even harder next time around. And then very quickly, pending home sales ticking up uh, in September despite mortgage rates uh, surging over over 7%. It sounds like the bottom line for many families and home buyers is that you got to jump on that deal if it's there. Um, that, that's right. And, you know, so we do see some changes going on in, in the housing market, uh, but inventories remain low. And I think that people who are, need to go out and buy a, buy a home are still doing so, even with mortgage rates above 8%. Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, tracking a jump in the sales of non-alcoholic beer, wine, and spirits. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The latest sales figures show a rise in popularity for non-alcoholic beverages, including beer and wine. Let's track the trend with the help of Phil Lempert, founder of SupermarketGuru.com, based in Los Angeles. Phil, thank you for joining us today. Is there any particular uh, moment in time in the last three or four years that uh, has led to this explosion in the space of non-alcoholic spirits? Well, Rob, I think it's a combination that it's not just one aspect of it, but the fact that younger people really are shying away from drinking alcohol. They understand that alcohol, even though baby boomers in particular, have always said, oh, you know, have a glass of red wine every day and it keeps your heart healthy. Well, new science has come out and these younger consumers don't believe that. They believe that drinking any amount of alcohol is bad for you. However, what we see from a lot of the sales is people are still buying alcohol, beer and wine and and cocktails, but they're also you know buying the non-alcoholic alternatives. So they're not drinking as much. Now, one of the things that we did see during the pandemic is we did see alcohol spiking because people were more at home. And I think that as a result of that, um, after the pandemic subsided, people just, you know, said, hey, I was drinking too much. Now we've got, you know, uh, sober October, we've got dry January, and people are getting part of these movements. Is it also a function of uh, uh, of some people who may have been, you know, I'm, I'm 43 and I have found that uh, even if I have a glass of wine after 8 o'clock at night, uh, there's a little bit of fog in the old brain the next day. And uh, Phil, this may come as a surprise to you and to our listeners, but I need that hamster wheel in my head operating at peak efficiency to do this program. So I've, I've stopped, you know, drinking, like having a glass of wine for 8 o'clock because I don't want to wake up with that headache. The next day but uh, you also don't want to be limited to like diet coke or iced tea if you're out at a social occasion and i think that's kind of where the the mocktails are coming in Absolutely. You know, just about every restaurant now have mocktails. You go into a supermarket and you see all these replacement drinks uh, that don't have alcohol but are trying to emulate alcohol. Like, you know, in fact, right here in Santa Monica, um, 
right up the block, there's a company called June Shine, and they have a margarita that is made and tastes just like a real margarita, but with no alcohol in it. So I think from a health standpoint, you're right. I think that as we all get older, um, with with certain exceptions, because baby boomers, their consumption is up when it comes to alcohol, and probably because as they're getting older, um, some are retiring, some have gone through the pandemic, some have lost their jobs, they're drinking more. Um, but all the other generations are drinking less. And then lastly, what does this mean for the uh, for the grocery industry? How can they adapt to these trends? Because if you go into any grocery store in America, uh, there's a pretty extensive liquor and beer selection. In fact, uh, you know they're adding more craft beers and and trying to appeal to to niche tastes. Uh, how do you retool your inventory to uh, to to meet the sober October customer? Well, all of the beer companies, all of the wine companies are coming up with alternatives that are non-alcoholic as well. So, you know, you might be taking 10 cases of Budweiser off the shelf, but Budweiser is putting their non-alcohol product in that same space. So I think from a supermarket standpoint, it's relatively easy to do. But to your point, I think that the supermarkets that have these huge wine sections, these huge alcohol sections, those are going to get smaller. Uh, There's no question about it. But you know, what we are going to see is we're going to see these non-alcoholic uh, products, and a lot of celebrities have now developed these non-alcoholic products as well as, you know, coming up with their tequilas and, and everything else. Um, we're going to really see a, a changing face in the supermarket. Phil Lempert, founder of SupermarketGuru.com, based in Los Angeles. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, a tentative contract deal is reached with one of the big three automakers. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The UAW and Ford have reached a tentative contract agreement that could end a nearly six-week strike. Let's get the very latest from Jeff Gilbert, CBS News automotive correspondent based in Detroit. Jeff, thank you for joining us today, and I'm going to give you a quote from from a person who works at the Ford assembly plant on the southeast side who told our Mike Krauser this morning that this tentative contract agreement is, quote, life-changing. What makes it life-changing? Well, one of the biggest things is an immediate 11% raise and a raise that's 25% over the life of the contract plus a cost-of-living adjustment. They've also security provisions that we haven't learned the specifics of and are adding more money to uh, to retiree benefits. So there is a lot in here, and we're going to learn a lot more about it uh, over the weekend after the UAW local presidents go over it. The strike began on September 15th. These stand-up strikes targeted at, uh, at certain assembly plants and certain parts facilities, uh, not just striking all at once. Uh, the strategy to uh, keep the automakers on their toes It would appear in the case of Ford, it was successful. The UAW leadership saying that Ford uh, started upping their offers as the uh, as the strike began. If Ford, if if Ford is clearly the first domino to fall, does that mean that uh, GM and Stellantis are soon to follow? I would think so, but I can't tell you how soon. I know there was a big meeting involving General Motors today, but I don't know exactly what was accomplished in in that set of negotiations, and and they've all been continually talking. I mean, the, the UAW is used to this. 
They get a deal with one company and they try to pattern it at another. It's not exact, but the economic issues are generally the same. I mean, Stellantis workers wouldn't vote for a uh, new contract if they didn't get the same pay increase that Ford does. And this comes just a mere days after uh, Ford walked out at uh, one of their pickup truck SUV plants uh, in Arlington, Texas. Was was that just one last ratcheting of pressure before the agreement was reached? And uh, is it safe to assume that uh, that that you have a, a similar strategy happening at the most recent uh, plant announcements at GM and Stellantis? Yeah, a lot of analysts I talked to think the strategy was okay, when these big plants, one of them the most profitable at, at the individual company, when those plants go out on strike, that's like the biggest weapon that the UAW has. So when they do that, that means we're in the end game. The UAW says it pushed forward into making concessions, could also have just been enough to get one or two last-minute deals from Ford as well. And to use uh, a different transportation analogy, uh, the big, long freight train has been stopped since September 15th. Uh, how long does it take to get that locomotive moving again and for all the slack to uh, come out of the, the, the consist of uh, 100 freight cars and get these factories back up and running like they were? Yeah, you don't just flip a switch uh, to get these factories up and running. They have some parts stockpiled. Others come in just in time from suppliers. The suppliers have to get up and running. We're told that some people will be reporting for work sooner than others, uh, and each plant will be on its own timetable as they slowly gear up. But at least they didn't wait till ratification, which they normally do. In fact, they get forward up and running so that that would put pressure on GM and Stellantis. Jeff Gilbert, CBS News Automotive Correspondent based in Detroit. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, the role of artificial intelligence and deep fakes in war and politics. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Police still searching for the man suspected of killing at least 18 people during a pair of shootings in Maine last night. Ford workers in Chicago talk about the tentative contract deal reached with the automaker. Technology Thursday deep fakes and artificial intelligence are increasingly spreading misinformation about the war in the Middle East and other events. And the idea of a set it and forget it 401k account may be heading towards extinction. WBBM Business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 262 points. The NASDAQ down 264. The S&P 500 is down 57. We have 68 degrees right now in Chicago under cloudy skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, an intense search is underway for a man suspected of being behind a deadly night in Lewiston, Maine, which is northwest of Portland. At least 18 people were killed in shootings at a bowling alley and a bar. More from WBZ reporter Jim McKay. Did you know anybody that may have been affected that was at the um, bar? Uh, we do, actually. Wayne Newell is from Mechanic Falls, Maine, not far from Lewiston. A friend's family with young children were inside of that bowling alley last night when shots rang out. This little boy that we know, um, he was at the bowling alley. He was part of the bowling league, um, and he watches several children get shot and killed, and the process and uh, 
very terrified. Meantime, Steve Williams is a longtime Lewiston native. Pretty close-knit community. He wants the nation to know this is unlike anything this central Maine community has seen before. We seem to get along. There's not a lot of violent crime here. The manhunt for 40-year-old Robert Card, a person of interest in this investigation, is ongoing. Jim McKay for CBS News, Lewiston, Maine. The United Auto Workers and Ford have reached a tentative contract agreement, a move that could lead to the end of the union's six-week-old strike. Scott Holdison has been working at the Ford assembly plant in Chicago's south side for 34 years. Well, I feel uh, relieved and uh, elated. It's definitely a record contract. It's been uh, offered by uh, President Fain and Vice President Browning. Uh, is definitely uh, a step in the right direction. Uh, but, you know, the devil's in the details. We, sure. we want to see the details of the contract, and, and uh, the membership will decide uh, whether it's good enough. Walkouts against Stellantis and General Motors continue. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. The markets are lower in the red once again today. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Uh, the gross domestic product for the third quarter of 2023 uh, growing at a 4.9% annual rate that is the highest number in nearly two years and that leads to a sell-off what's going on today well good afternoon rob and thanks for having me on you know that was a very strong uh gdp report but the problem was we had some some poor earnings uh uh from meta and from ups actually the earnings from meta we can get into a little bit uh were good but the, the guidance was bad so you know you have you have a strong gdp which means uh that that at least backward looking uh, the global economy and the U.S. economy is growing pretty strongly, but it looks like there are definitely some storm clouds ahead based on some, some comments made by some of the companies coming out with earnings. Yeah, let's look under the hood of Meta, the uh, Facebook parent company, also the parent company of Messenger, uh, Instagram, WhatsApp, and they did say there was some softness in the advertising market so far this quarter. And what story does that tell? Well, they, they, they beat, first of all, they beat on the top and bottom lines, so the numbers were great. But as you said, the CFO came on, the stock was up like 4% after hours, and the minute the CFO warned about weaker ad uh, demand in the fourth quarter, the stock just tanked. And, uh, you know, there, there's that concern from Google, from other tech stocks, so, so there's definitely concern about the fourth quarter being soft, both in ad revenue and then also in, in some of the other companies that have reported uh, just in global eco- economic growth. So this is just another data point, or at least a comment from, from a, a large cap tech stock saying things are slowing down. So that's what's worrying the, the stock market. Uh, a reminder to all investors that the stock market is always looking forward, not in the in the rearview mirror. So what's already happened, even though it might be great, is not as important as what uh, the market perceives as what's about to happen. And then once again, uh, the bond market uh, in the driver's seat, at least as far as uh, the valuation of equities are concerned. Uh, the 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 treasury yield uh, once again uh, jumping over five percent, and uh, that's also putting some pressure on stocks today yet again. Yeah, I mean, rates are actually a little bit down today, but yeah, they're still at elevated levels versus what we've seen the last few years. So until we can see some 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 talk out of the Fed, out of Chairman Powell, that they're going to stop their rate hikes, 
uh, bonds are also uh, causing a problem. So, you know, even in this big market sell-off, bond yields, normally they would, they would lower and bonds would rally into this. But because of what they perceive from the Fed, that has not happened yet. So if, if we can get something out of the Fed saying, hey, we're, we're done with, ra- with rate hikes for a while, we're going to watch and see, that I think would be a little bit of a catalyst for a rally here in stocks, but we're not getting that. So the market is pretty much getting a lot of bad news overall. And um, until we can see something good coming out of the Fed or that earnings are, are going to be okay for the fourth quarter, until those two, two questions are, come out more in the affirmative, uh, we're, we're going to see some more weakness here in equities. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, artificial intelligence, deep fakes, and the war in the Middle East, how you can get good information. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday, and the troubling spread of misinformation is being spurred by advancements in artificial intelligence and deepfake technology, and the impact is being felt in multiple areas, including politics and the Israeli-Hamas war. We're joined by Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today and founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. Jennifer, thank you for joining us today and it seems like the you know the this it's a term that has been abused to death and that is fake news um there have all been always been urban legends there have always you know back in the days of email forwards or even chain letters uh there were always these efforts to kind of fool you in a way that uh, took advantage of your ideological priors and uh, thanks to high tech and evolving tech uh, that practice uh, has has literally uh, put democracy at the precipice all over the world. It absolutely has. And it is so incredibly easy. I can sit here in my office at my house and I can use AI to lip dub you into saying something so outrageous, but you can't really tell that it's not you saying it. And that's what we're seeing, not only with politicians, but Uh, leaders of other countries. We're seeing it in business. Uh, I just tested out some new technology that made me speak seven different languages. You could not tell. It was advanced AI lip dubbing. You couldn't tell that it wasn't actually my lips, you know, speaking in all those different languages. So we're really talking about a technology. The genie is out of that bottle. And we have to do something, especially before this next election season, We have to do something to make 
companies, news organizations, and especially politicians more accountable. Now, Jennifer, you're a responsible journalist, so I know you will never use that video of me saying, go Cubs, go. (laughs) Um, You'll just keep it under lock and key. It'll never see the light of day, and I thank you for that. But the one use you speaking in a, in a Looney Tunes voice or something. You know, <laughs> well, the norm. I mean, my, my kids already have a microphone that can make you speak in wacky voices, and, and they get a big kick out of that. But the one thing that has struck me, though, about some of these efforts to fool people by playing on their preconceived notions and beliefs is right. that it's not that sophisticated. I mean, one thing that, that we have seen a great deal of uh, since Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th and, 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 and the subsequent reprisal is that you see a lot of videos that were dur- taken during the Syrian civil war from 10 years ago now being repurposed as things that are happening in Gaza. And because people want to believe it, they believe it and then they share it. There are video games, clips from video games being used as real images from this latest war. Uh, There's a famous one of a baby buried in rubble. Well, if one look at that photo, and this just has been in the past week or so, but one look at that photo, and that baby has like eight fingers. You know, it's not even a good AI, but that's absolutely how our psychology works and, and how people developing this technology they went for that that lowest part of our brain that reacts to our preconceived notions and they engineered this technology to speak to that and this isn't new they've been doing that since social media and even before social media it is all about what's the easiest way to get our attention what's the easiest way to link into our emotion and what's the easiest emotion to link into it's typically fear. So all of these things are at play and engineered in a way that is so much more powerful than many of us slow down to realize. And this is kind of all the stuff that we're reckoning with. And then very quickly, Jennifer, it seems like the biggest bunko artists online aren't necessarily uh, political parties or activists or governments. It's just people who want attention, and then they lie, and then they finally get the attention they believe they deserve all along. And then they run for government, and then, and then, you know. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we found out a few election cycles ago that lying seems to work pretty well on some of us. So uh, you've got this attention economy, and you've got people who are just, living for every living breathing moment is for that one to 15 seconds not even 15 minutes of fame anymore it's that 15 seconds of fame and when you have everybody fighting you know arm wrestling each other over what it's going to take to get that it's no surprise that it's this outrageous but just be really careful we need an ai pledge Uh, something that says that the baseline of humanity just don't use AI to misrepresent, deceive, lie, cheat, and steal. Now, you and I both know, <laughs> good luck with all of that, right? Yeah, you're no, no kidding. Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist <laughs> for USA Today. Thank you for joining us today from San Francisco. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. If you have a 401k retirement account and you've been taking a hands-off approach, it might be a t- good time to reconsider your strategy. Let's get some insight from Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com based in Washington. Mark, thank you for joining us today. And throughout the 
financial crisis in 08, 09, and through the uh, economic downturn caused by the uh, disruption of the COVID-19 pandemic, the advice you got about your 401k account was always, look at it twice a year, look at it twice a year, look at it twice a year, don't panic because eventually everything sorts itself out. And is that good advice in this day and age? I think it is, even though a lot of people are arguing to the contrary. Uh, and the reason is that uh, over last year, both stocks and bonds together did poorly. And those are the two investments that go into the traditional 60-40 portfolio that you often hear about for the set it and forget it approach. It's 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And that has done well historically. It didn't do well last year. And this has caused all kinds of hand-wringing in the financial planning world. But if you go back and look at a much longer-term perspective, there have been other years in which the 60-40 portfolio, portfolio did poorly, and uh, just the fact of it doing poorly is not a reason to give up on it. The other reason that I don't think we should give up on it is that where, where are you going to put your money instead? It turns out that most alternative investments have done even more poorly than stocks and bonds over the last five or ten years. And so, uh, you know, it's one thing to say you can't set it and forget it anymore, but the, uh, the, 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 the question that that immediately brings up is what are you going to do instead? And I think the alternatives are worse. From a time horizon standpoint, um, when, when should you maybe take a little bit more initiative? Are, are like five years out from retirement, your, your projected retirement date, 10 years out? Uh, if you're 20 years out, should you still set it and forget it? I mean, when, at what point in your, in your saving life uh, should you maybe be a little more assertive? Well, it's a great question. See, I think there's a distinction to be made between a set it and forget it strategy and secondly, whether that strategy itself changes. There are a lot of funds out there called target date funds that will gradually increase your bond allocation and gradually decrease your equity allocation over time as you get older. And you can set it and forget it with that because the strategy, it's called a glide path. You basically glide through your different stock and bond allocations over time, it'll gradually take care of itself. It's done by formula. You don't have to do anything. So it's still set it and forget it, even though there will be gradual changes year by year. And then very quickly, Mark, what if you've already put out the gone fishing sign? You have retired and you want to just make sure you can make that last as long as it can. Well, again, I think you have to come up with a strategy. You can follow through thick and thin and then actually pay attention to it and follow it rather than try to second guess it. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of the Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.